Good morning, North Boulevard. Good morning, East Campus and West Campus, and to those that are watching us online all around the world. Uh, we are so excited that you're worshiping with us on this morning. Uh, I'm Anthony Walker. I'm humbled to be here. I always love to uh, fellowship and worship and share with my family here at North Boulevard. Uh, listen, I'm just excited about this moment and excited to share a word uh, this is a word that's very personal to me. Uh, John chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5 are, are, are passages that I think are quintessential uh, to discipleship and quintessential uh, to our yearning and wanting to know more about Jesus and about his method in sharing the gospel. So I'm excited. I hope you are. Uh, and I want you to pay close attention to how Jesus conducts night school discipling. Uh, let me ask you this real quick as we get into the message. Uh, have you ever had a situation uh, with your physical health where uh, things just weren't working right? You know, it, it, you didn't feel quite right. And, and some folk have even had to go to the hospital and you get there to the ER. And the first thing that they administer uh, is a bag of saline, basically just water. And for so many people, they feel better after getting some water. Well, what happens is uh, hospitals and doctors have found out that for the most part, we go through life on the brink of dehydration. I mean, we, we don't drink enough water. And so what happens is we push our body uh, more and more. And eventually our body gives us a sign to say, hey, I'm thirsty. I need something to drink. And oftentimes the water that you drink, even for those that have headaches really bad. Uh, I remember a doctor telling me one time that oftentimes the water that you drink with the Tylenol does you better than the Tylenol itself because it is your brain literally saying, hey, I'm thirsty. Or check this out. You've probably had this experience before where in the middle of the night, out of a dead sleep, you get up and go downstairs or, or go to the kitchen and get a glass of water. Now, now, what were you doing? What were you dreaming about to where in the middle of the night you got to get a glass of water? Well, again, this is an indication that your body is thirsty. Some of you, now I'm, I'm just going to tell you the truth, some of you actually go to bed with a bottle of water or a glass of water by your nightstand because you know that somewhere in the middle of the night you're going to get thirsty. Again, your body is crying out, I'm thirsty. I need something to drink. And what better to drink than some water? Water quenches our body's thirst. Well, I want to tell you about a guy who, just like we do, he got thirsty and he happened to get thirsty in the middle of the night. Uh, look at this in John chapter three. This is interesting. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus, watch this, by night. Now, Nicodemus what were you going through that in the middle of the night you got to go see Jesus? I'm telling you, Nicodemus was thirsty. 
He comes to Jesus by night. Now he's a Pharisee. And if you know anything about the history of the Pharisees and their interactions with Jesus, it was almost always contentious. They were always trying him publicly. They knew that he attracted a crowd and they would take the opportunity to, when he has a crowd, they'll come through and they would ask these questions. But Nicodemus waits at night to where he can have a personal time with Jesus. I submit to you because he was thirsty. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Nicodemus says, we know. Now, when he says we here, he's talking about the Pharisees. He and his Pharisaical group. He says, we know you've come from God. We know that you're a teacher come from God. But I want to tell Nicodemus something. Jesus was not just a teacher come from God. He was God that came to teach. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus understood some things about Jesus. But there was something that was still uh, uh, bothering his spirit. There was something that made him seek out Jesus late at night. Something was, was just, it was crawling all over him. I need to go see him myself. And so Jesus, when he answers Nicodemus, he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Did you notice something there? It seems like I almost skipped a verse. Nicodemus comes to him, says, hey, rabbi, we know you come from God. Jesus doesn't even acknowledge it. Jesus doesn't say, well, well thank you. I, I appreciate that. No, Jesus jumps straight to the case because he knows Nicodemus, you didn't travel across town here in the middle of the night to compliment me on my teaching and preaching. I know there's something really bothering you. And what I need to do is get to the meat of the matter. He says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, let alone experience the kingdom. You won't even see it. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, Jesus drops a term, uh, and I don't want to be too technical this morning, but, but Jesus drops a term uh, that in the Aramaic or in the Greek, it could have meant two different things. There is a born again that, that Jesus is going to define for him that uh, refers to a spiritual birth, a baptism. But then there's also the born again that Nicodemus catches on here. Now, birth, in a very real sense, is leaving one world and transitioning into another. When we think about babies that are born, they're actually in a different world. They, they breathe differently. They're breathing in amniotic fluid. We're in another world where we breathe air. This world for them is constantly getting smaller. Well, 
It's not getting smaller, but they're getting bigger. And so they experience this world ever getting smaller to them. This world that they're in is not designed to sustain them for the rest of their lives. It's only meant to sustain them for a period of their development. But watch this. In order for them to transition into the next world, it takes labor. And that's the same thing that happens with those that are being born again spiritually. The world in which we exist, Jesus would go on and describe this, but the world that we exist in is not designed to sustain us forever. It's only here for a period of time as we develop and mature and, and, and grow a little bit more. That's all this world was designed to do by flesh. But Jesus says, unless you're born again, you won't even see the kingdom. So Nicodemus, and not just Nicodemus, but even those of us who may be uh, growing physically, there's going to come a point in your life where this world will no longer be able to sustain you. There's something that, that you've got to get out of this world and get into the next world. And that's where Nicodemus is. And so Jesus says, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? This is something that this question I love that he asked because it shows at least for a brief moment a point of humility for Nicodemus. See, Nicodemus being a Pharisee, we know that he's highly skilled and highly intelligent. And I want to share this word with those who are sharing the gospel with your friends and family. Don't think that just because people don't know Jesus like you know Jesus, don't think that they don't know anything. Nicodemus is a highly intelligent man, but he is infantile. He's a baby in his spiritual understanding. You could tell Nicodemus things about the law, and I'm sure that Nicodemus knows more about the law than many of us know. That he would have known the Old Testament and the law like the back of his hand. But if you were to ask somebody today to turn to uh, uh, Amos, we'd have to go to the reference. If you were to tell somebody today about uh, elements of the law in Leviticus, you would think we were reading them something from a foreign book. Nicodemus would have known that like the back of his hand. But as it relates to understanding spiritually what Jesus came to do, he's still a developing baby. And so he asked, how can this be? Jesus says to him, are you the teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus is pointing out to Nicodemus, there's a wall in your mind that for some reason you refuse to believe. 
And even if I were to explain it to you, unless you're in a position to where you're ready to hear, you just won't believe it. But again, and I want this to stick with you this morning, again, Nicodemus shows up to Jesus. Jesus didn't call him, Nicodemus went. So we know he's hungry, we know he, he's thirsty for something, but it, it, it's, it's, it's not sinking in. And I want to tell you, there are people in your life that are recognizing what Jesus is doing in your life. But because of their cognitive dissonance, because of their refusal to believe in some instance, or because of their infantile understanding of spiritual things, they just can't get there. But I would even submit some of us, there are areas in our life where we just haven't gotten this understanding. We're hungry or we're thirsty, but we don't quite get it. And I would submit this is a good place to be, especially if you know where to receive the answer. Problem is the world in which we live, they get the answer wherever it seems best for them. But we're here today and there are those of you that are watching right now. You're hungry, you're thirsty, and you're trying to find out more about this Jesus guy. So Nicodemus, uh, as Jesus is talking to him, and, and I'll tell you, one of the things he tells uh, Nicodemus, which is, is very interesting, he gets into some things that he knows is going to pique Nicodemus's mind. He says, no one ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent into the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus knows this kind of stuff will pique Nicodemus's interest. What is it that you're talking about? In a verse earlier, he says to Nicodemus, hey, you understand some things and you just accept it as it is. He says the wind blows. You don't know where it came from or where it's going, but you accept it. The thing about the truth of God is that there are facts that must be believed. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to understand how. When I think about what God has done in this world, there's a lot of things I don't understand how he did it, but I believe it because he's God. I tell the church at 231 all the time, there are some things that when I get to heaven, I, I'm gonna ask God, I, you'll get your time, but I'm gonna ask God, God, I wanna see how it happened. God, I, I want you to put on the big screen of heaven, I wanna see what uh, uh, the Red Sea opening up. I want to see what that looked like because in all of our movie technology, I just don't think we've hit it quite right. I need to see that, God. I don't know how, but I know it happened. God, I want to see, put it on the big screen of heaven. I want to see what it looked like when Jesus took a little boy's sack lunch, two fish and five loaves, five hush puppies, I want to see what it looked like when you prayed and everybody opens their eyes 
and you were able to feed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. I want to see. But the fact that I don't understand how doesn't take away from the point that I believe these facts. And what Jesus is trying to break down to Nicodemus, there are some facts that you've got to believe. And I know it's hard and I know it goes contrary to what your mind is able to fi figure out, but you must believe it. See, the Pharisees, they, they, they had this mentality of, I want to see everything. That's why they followed around people and looking at them all the time, because I don't want to just hear that you obeyed the law. I want to see you do it. So they're looking at people all the time. I want to see, I want to see, I want to see. And Jesus knew this about Nicodemus. So when he's talking to him, he tells Nicodemus, I don't want to hear all these compliments of how good a teacher I am. I, no, 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 no. You've got to be born again. Because Nicodemus, you are in a world that is growing smaller around you and you know it. And that's why you came to me tonight. You know that this pharisaical world that you exist in, you know this is not what your life purpose is about. You know, Nicodemus, because you're, after all of that you've been drinking, you're still thirsty. Nicodemus, you're walking around spiritually dehydrated, and that's why in the middle of the night you came to get a cup of water. Jesus would go on in John chapter four and he approaches another woman, uh, another person rather, which was a woman and she was thirsty. And what does he offer her? Some water. That's another way for another day. But I want you to watch what Jesus does. Jesus responds to Nicodemus's curiosity. He responds to his dehydration spiritually with what I like to call the Bible in one verse or the gospel in one verse. And I know you know what it is and I know that you could quote it, but I want to delve into this because it's deeper than we actually understand. And Jesus gives it to Nicodemus. We quote it out of context, but understand Jesus was not standing before 5,000 declaring this verse that we put on stickers and t-shirts and hats and all. Jesus, this was, this was in a night class with Nicodemus. And, and, and he's giving it to Nicodemus because he wants him to continue drinking this truth. Nicodemus had arrived at a revelation but Jesus wanted him to arrive at a conviction. Nicodemus said, we know you're from God. We know. But knowledge by itself doesn't always convict. Cigarette packages say on the package can cause cancer. People still buy them. We know, but we're not convicted. Jesus says, I need you to arrive not just at a revelation, but I need you to arrive at a conviction. So he says, for God, God, the greatest power, God, the greatest being for God, so loved the greatest 
emotion. He's hitting them with all this greatness. The world, the greatest amount of people. God, the greatest, so loved, the greatest. The world that he gave, the greatest demonstration. The character of God is to give. When we are giving, we are demonstrating the great character of God. His only begotten Son. This was the greatest gift that God could have ever given. That whoever, again, the greatest amount of people, not just those who are in this location or those in that uh, location, whoever, wherever, whenever, whoever believes in him, the greatest act of faith. And remember, I know we, we, we use that word belief uh, just kind of off to the side. No, this word belief in context is a belief that leads to obedience. It's one thing for me to tell you that it's going to rain. It's another thing for you to get your umbrella while the sun is still in the sky. It's that kind of belief that leads me to change. That we should not perish the greatest punishment. Perishing, being eternally separate from God, but have ever lasting life. See, Nicodemus, what you must understand is that yes, there are facts that must be believed. It, it, it's not that you understand it logically. I tell folk all the time, faith doesn't make sense and sense doesn't make faith. I just got to believe God at his word. It's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to believe God. Nicodemus, I know that you're growing inside of this womb of, of uh, the Pharisees and, and this is limiting your growth. It's stunting your growth. You need to be born again. You need to, uh, through labor, be pushed out of that world into the world that God has destined you to be. But not only are there facts to be believed, there are commands to be obeyed. See, that's, that's the thing that, that, that we struggle with sometimes with discipleship. We, we like the believing aspect of it. Okay, I accept it. But I want to tell you something about where we are in society, in our world. We are, I know our, our government is, is a republic style of government, but we, we operate in a democratic mindset. We vote for who we want, and if we don't like them, we vote them out. We do what we want. If the law says one thing and we feel the law is stupid or we feel it doesn't make sense, guess what? We just don't do it because I don't want to. I have that prerogative. That's the culture that we live in. If we don't like who we elected or they don't do what we think we ought to do, we vote them out. But when we understand how the kingdom of God works, it's not democratic. It's not even republic. It's not even representative. 
It's a monarchy. God is the king. And when the king lays down a command, we must obey. It does not matter if I think it should be done a certain way. It does not matter if I understand how it should be done. It must be obeyed. And so when he tells us, and you know the five steps as we like to, to put them, but, but as we break that down, when we believe, that leads us to repentance. It leads us to make a turn. That's what that word means. It leads us to turn from wickedness to righteousness. If I believe Jesus is who he says he is, then I've got to make a turn. I cannot be where I am and stay where I am once I have an encounter with Jesus. The gospel of Christ demands a response. And, and, and that's, that's even where we are sometimes in our worship services now. We almost come to them like they're a nice show. Man, the singing was good. We, that's, that, that's even how we talk about it. Oh, the singing was good. Oh, it wasn't so, wasn't so on today. Ah, oh, the message, it was so, and we pay our ticket price. I mean, we pay our, we, we give. <laughs> it, it, it's as if this was something that we saw rather than an experience and an encounter with God that convicts us. So we love the revelation, but have we arrived at a conviction? Does this word even today make us consider where we are with Christ? Because there are some of us that are like Nicodemus. We have created a world that is growing smaller. We've created rules and regulations in worship and in, in, in church life that we're beginning to find out doesn't sustain. What our young people are craving, we're giving them what we were given 40 years ago. We want to give them a track. We want to give them a verse and expect their lives to be changed. No, they're looking for an authentic, transformative truth. And they're looking at our lives. How has this changed you? Have you encountered God and still end up believing and walking the way you were before you ran into him? And then, not only are there facts to be believed and commands to be obeyed, but there are promises to be enjoyed. Jesus says, God loved the world that we should enjoy everlasting life. There are promises that he has made that only those who have committed their lives to him will be able to enjoy. Now, if you want a system that the world has created or your mind has created that makes you feel better than others, hey, you've got your reward. But if you want the kingdom of God, if you want the promises that God has made and has designed for his kingdom, then I must submit my way for his way. 
I, I, I can't. I, it, when we obey Jesus, we are saying, I am not qualified to be the Lord of my life. I'm not qualified to run this life. Because when we ran it, we ended up where we were. Lost, drunk, addicted, wandering. But when we submit to his way, and let me tell you this as we, as we wrap this thing up, notice the rest of what Jesus says here. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I remember, and some of you might have been where I was, I remember at times in my life thinking that God was looking down on the world and seeing those that were doing wrong in a way to kind of pick them out, you know? But I'm going to tell you, that's a pharisaical thinking that we have impressed upon God. And how we view God is how we view the rest of our lives. The Pharisees, they viewed God in that way. They thought that God was a bully looking down on us. And you know what that did to them? It made them be a bully to those around them. But when you understand that God is a loving God that does not desire that anybody be lost, but everybody to be saved, it makes us have a different perspective on everybody else that we encounter. This makes us look at even our enemies in a different way. We don't look at them with anger and wrath and vengeance. We look at them with compassion. Man, you've gotten to a place in life where hurting me makes you feel better. Oh, what a low state. You've gotten to a place in life where hurting others and, and destroying others gives you some sense of accomplishment. Oh, what a bad place in life. That leads us to compassion. When we are like Pharisees looking around to see, oh, they weren't here today. Oh, they didn't do this today. Oh, I didn't see them do this. When we live that kind of mentality, we're like Nicodemus. But when we see people who even where they were is not where God desires for them to be, it should cause us like Jesus to meet them in grace and mercy. It should cause us, like Paul said, because we know the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. It causes us to want to be there for those. I think about this. I think about to the people that we struggle with so much. Are you at a position that they could come to you and have a Bible study. See, Jesus could have used this time to exploit Nicodemus. Y'all wouldn't believe who came to me last night. Here they are picking with me all day, but one of y'all's chief Pharisees stopped by the place last night to have Bible. No, 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 no. Jesus is not interested in just making people feel bad. He came to save those even those 
that were willing to put him on the cross. Are you at a position where you're wanting to save those that may even be bent on putting you on a cross? See, there may be somebody right now looking at this lesson and immediately you were thinking of the people that were like Nicodemus that need to hear this. Oh, I need to, because they were. But the truth of the matter is that we were like Nicodemus and to some might be there today. There's someone watching right now that as you're struggling with God, I, I, I'm still thirsty. I want to tell you about Jesus. There's somebody that the life that you've decided to live, you thought would fulfill you, but has left you spiritually dehydrated. I want to give you some water on this morning. There's somebody who's struggling with where life has left them. And you're trying to make this thing work with what you understood and what you believe God is. Listen, have some night class with Jesus. I want to invite you to those that are responding. Here at East, remember, there's the prayer room. We'll pray for you on this morning because what I know is that we all stand in the need of prayer. To those that are at West Campus, remember the prayer table. We'll pray for you this morning. And nobody's here to judge you because we are all submissive to King Jesus. To those that are even watching us online, there's that prayer button. We will pray for you because what I know about prayer and I have experienced, prayer changes things. I don't always understand how, but I know that he will. So if there's someone here, someone watching, I invite you to engage with Jesus even in this moment. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that those that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came that by him the world may be saved. God bless.